I'm very honored to be able to do so. You know, when I was looking at the title and, and we were talking about what is the heart of this series and what do we really want to communicate, uh, I, I decided I got to figure out how to really launch this series right. And so I, I was doing some research on the internet and I'm looking around, you know, what do I say to people? How do I help them get into this, this idea of taboo and the things we don't talk about? And I came across the Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year uh, in 2013. So just last year, this was the word of the year. And they, they try to choose a word that kind of really describes the culture and at the same time, you know, is, has been used. It's kind of on, on the rise in terms of a word. And the word that they chose in 2013, this doesn't say a lot of great things about our culture, but the word they chose was the word selfie. And, and there's a lot of different responses I think we have to the word selfie. Hopefully all of us know what that means, but some of us are like, selfie, ugh. You know, and others are like, yeah, selfie. And, you, you, you know, we need to let you know that it got cool a little bit on the selfie. But, but we have a lot of different reactions to that. And, and you know, things have changed a lot. And, and, and I hate to even say this phrase, but when I was growing up, you know, we didn't have the ability to do what we do today. Okay, when we took pictures, what we did is we had a camera where you put a cartridge inside of it, for those of you that are under like 18 years old. You put a cartridge inside of there, and it has 24 available pictures. There's no digital screen. There's no ability to look at yourself or preview your picture. I remember growing up, you know, we would have that, that camera, and we did you know, do selfies. We didn't call them selfies at the time, but, you know, you want to document a moment you're excited about. And so we'd pull out the camera, you know, and, and, and we would do our best. I mean, again, there's no screen. We don't know what's going on, but we're doing our best. And you snap the picture, and you kind of debate for a moment, should we do one more? But you know that it costs $7.99 for those 24 pictures. And so it's like, I can't, uh, nah, let's not do another one. And then, this is going to blow your mind, young people, it's going to blow your mind. We had to wait until we took all 24 pictures to go actually get it developed and look at the film. So sometimes it was like two or three weeks before you saw the picture you took of yourself. So then you go, right? And this is a moment we all used to love. You know, you got the envelope and you open it up and you get to see what you actually did, right? You get to see the moments that you documented and, and the incredible stuff that happened. And you pull it out and without a doubt every time, the head's cut off, you know, or your nose looks big, or, you know, you got a goofy smile on your face, or your eyes are closed. But here's the deal. It just was what it was, right? There was no redos. You couldn't redocument the moment. You just had to live with whatever that picture looked like. See, things have changed quite a bit. You know, nowadays, they actually design phones around our ability to take good selfies, right? They got a camera on the front. So you can actually look at yourself while you're taking a picture of yourself. Interesting. And then, you know, then, you know, obviously I've learned, I've been trained by many people, that there are certain angles that make you look thinner, you know, and there are certain angles that make your nose look like it's not so big. And so you got to take the right angle. And then, you know, what we all do, which you couldn't do back in the day, and, you know, we went to the Broncos game on Thursday. We were blessed with tickets, my wife and I's first game, and and we wanted to document it, and so we were taking a selfie. And what you do, and you all do this, so don't act like it's just me. You take like 25 of them, right? You just like bam, 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 bam. You just take tons of pictures, and then you still don't find one you like. And so you have to finally go, okay, I guess we'll agree to do this. When we did that, we took like 20 of them. We finally picked one on Thursday night. And then you go, you know what? My skin looks a little bit pale. Could you add one of those filters that makes me look like I have a tan? 
Yeah, go ahead and do that. Add, add the tan filter. And then, you know, my teeth look a little yellow, so we'll, we'll airbrush those a little bit. You guys know what I'm talking about. There's filters. There's airbrushing. There's all kinds of stuff we could do to make ourselves look better. And ultimately, we end up just deciding to show people the things we want to show them, right? I mean, if we took a real honest selfie, it'd probably look something a little bit more like this if we were really being honest. <laughs> you know, I got my mouth guard in because I grind my teeth at night. Let's take that off the screen if possible. Thank you. <laughs> Enough embarrassment. But that's what a real selfie would look like. But you don't see a lot of those on Instagram and Facebook, do you? No, we see the polished the airbrushed, you know, the filtered version of who we are. We show the world what we want to show them, and we hide the things that we don't. And what's interesting is, is while the idea or the term selfie is relatively new in our culture, the philosophy behind the selfie has been alive and well in the church for a long, long time. I mean, if I'm honest with you, and I, and I think if you were honest with me, you would say that being a Christian at times and coming to church, instead of being refreshing, there are times where it's, it's draining. Because somehow this, this undercurrent in the Christian culture has convinced us that we have to have it all together. That our lives need to be perfect. And that there should be no issues, there should be no problem, there should be no hidden sin in your life. And so what we do is very similar to the selfie is we kind of we show up to church, we check our problems at the door, we put the filters on, you know, the airbrushing on. Someone says, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great, thanks. And on the inside, your life is falling apart. You've got issues. You've got pain. You've got sin. You've got struggles. But yet we just keep on pretending that everything's Okay. There have been many times in my life where I've walked through the do doors of a church and instead of being filled and, and, and accepted, I just hid. I covered up the problems, I covered up the issues, and I pretended that everything's okay. I, you know, I put the tan filter on and life's good. And what breaks my heart is that when you look at the gospel, when you look at what Jesus has to say about the life that he wants us to live, that is the exact opposite. Yet if we're being honest, I think as Christians, a lot of times that is what we do. You know, the gospel is amazing because it says, look, Jesus, he looks at you and regardless of the sin, regardless of the mess, regardless of the pain, regardless of the stuff that you don't have together, he loves you. He accepts you. And he says, I want to meet you right where you're at and I want to be with you in the mess. He says, and I'll sit there with you, I'll walk through it with you, and I'll never leave you. I accept you, I love you, and I want to extend grace and mercy and ultimately righteousness to you. And I think our goal in doing this series is to say, look, we want to not only embrace the gospel from Jesus' perspective, but from a community perspective. To say, look, it's okay to have issues. It's not taboo to say, look, I'm dealing with something. I've got a problem, or I've got issues, or I'm going through something. And so this series, I believe, is going to have a significant imp impact on many, many, many of our lives. A chance to come out of the darkness, to take off the filters, and to say, look, I, I can finally say, yeah, here's who I really am. And find acceptance and love in Jesus in the midst of that. 
That's what this series is about. And we're going we're gonna to look at a passage today. And if I'm honest, this is a passage that even feels a little bit uncomfortable for me to read. Because some of the words that, that, that this guy uses in this passage, you know, you don't say these things in church. And so even as I read this, I go, man, there's a little bit inside of me that goes, is that okay? I mean, can you feel that way? Can you actually say those kind of things? And so what I want to do is I want to read this passage to you, and I don't want anybody to turn there necessarily or, or look at your Bible or your iPad. What I want you to do is just listen. And I want you to put yourself in the place of this person, and I want you to feel their pain and feel their emotion and feel every word that's being spoken because this is a real person. It's not just some page in a book. This is a real person that is expressing real feelings about what they're going through. My guess is many of you will relate to some of these things. So for just a minute, I'm going to read out of the book of Lamentation, chapter 3. And I want you just to listen. You can close your eyes or you can just listen. But listen to these words for a moment. He says, I am the man who has seen trouble. Trouble coming from the lash of God's anger. He took me by the hand and he walked me into pitch black darkness. He's talking about God. Yes, he's given me the back of his hand over and over again. He turned me into a scarecrow of skin and bones, meaning I can't even eat anymore. And then he broke my bones. He hemmed me in. He ganged up on me. He poured out trouble and hard times in my life. He locked me up in deep darkness like a corpse nailed inside of a coffin. I feel dead. He shuts me up so I never get out. He shackles my hands and my feet. Even when I cry out and plead for help from God, he locks up my prayers and he throws away the key. He sets up blockades with quarried limestone. He's got me cornered. He's like a bear tracking me down, a lion hiding in wait, ready to pounce. He knocked me from my path. He ripped me to pieces. And when he was finished, there was nothing left of me. He took, he took out his bow and his arrows and he used me for target practice. He shot me in the stomach with his arrows from his quiver. Everyone took me for a joke. He made me the butt of their mocking ballads. He forced rotten, stinking food down my throat. He bloated me with vile wines. He was drunk. He says, he ground my face into the gravel. He pounded me into the mud. And then he says, I've given up on life altogether. I've forgotten what the good life is like. I said to myself, this is it. I'm finished. God's a lost cause. Wow. That, that's, that's something that God chose to put in the Bible. You know, you look at that passage and you go, something's wrong. And you see clearly there is a person in this passage who's struggling with fear, with anxiety. I mean, he's saying, look, I feel like I'm being tracked down by a bear. Like, I don't, I don't know which way to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know which way is up and which way is down. He's paralyzed with anxiety. This guy is clearly in a, a state of despair. He, he, wants, he wants to give up on his faith. He's struggling with doubt. And ultimately, as you study this person's life and you look at more surrounding passages, you realize that this guy is severely depressed. 
You know, you and I look at that and we go, man, must be somebody on the fringes of faith, right? That's got to be somebody who really doesn't know God. There's, there's no way that person knows who God is because they wouldn't say those kind of things if they did. You know, they must just have barely gotten, you know, to know God because they're really confused here. And what we see is actually the exact opposite. This is somebody who has experienced God in a way that most of us have never experienced. This is somebody who is called by name in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. He was called by name to say, I'm going to use you. God's saying to him, I'm going to use you for great things. I've called you by name to be the mouthpiece that communicates my word to a nation. This is somebody who knew God really well. This is someone who had a passionate, intimate relationship with God. This is the prophet Jeremiah, one of the greatest prophets to ever walk this planet, one of the greatest men of God that we see in the Bible. Yet we see a man who is depressed, who has anxiety, who has doubted God. And it would be easy for us to go, wait a minute, that's, that can't be right. But we've learned in our culture, in our society, statistics have showed that over 50% of our population, not Christians, just 50% of the world, especially Americans, will experience a severe form of depression or anxiety at some point in their life. That means half of the people in this room will have some significant form of that in their life. And my guess is that all of us at some point in our life will experience some sense of it. You know, in my life, I've never heard a message on depression. It's not, you know, super exciting to talk about. But man, is it a real issue. In our culture, we see over and over again, horrible things happen because of depression happening in people's lives. And it would be absolutely foolish to think that somehow because we're Christians, we're exempt from a sickness that affects our earthly body. We see it right here. You know, for me in my life, it's important that I, I spoke about this because, you know, people wouldn't realize it or maybe know it, but in my life, over the last five years, really, I've struggled with seasons of depression. You know, I've gone through some, some serious pain emotionally and mentally. You know, I know what it's like to be in the place that Jeremiah is at. I know what it's like to feel like there's no hope, to feel like you don't want to live anymore to feel like giving up on everything that you know. God has blessed me with an incredible life. He's, he's blessed me with an incredible family, with incredible things around me. Yet I found myself hating everything about my life, wanting to run away, wanting to give up, wanting to quit, not sure if God was for me or against me. I've been there. My guess is many of you have been there too. And I want to say a couple things to us today that I think are really important. And, and, and they really ultimately apply to all the topics for the next five weeks. But specifically to the one today. And I want you to hear these things, especially the first one. One of the greatest, I think, 
goals that the enemy has, that Satan has in our life, is to convince us that it's just you. Right? We've all experienced that, all of us, whatever issue it might be, is to convince you to, that it's just you and to isolate you and to put you in a place where you go, no one else would ever experience. No Christian surely would go through these things, that's for sure. And what I want to say to you today, and I've already said it is this, and it's, it's that you're not alone. If you struggle with anxiety or depression or any of these things, you're not alone. I mean, it wasn't just Jeremiah in the Bible. We see plenty of other people in the Bible go through seasons of depression and seasons of anxiety in their life. Matter of fact, even in the New Testament, we see Paul. Paul comes to a place in life where he goes, I don't even want to face tomorrow. I'd rather die. Not a verse you probably read very often. But he says, I I don't even want to face tomorrow. Just kill me now. Elijah. We know about Elijah, right? He's, he's experienced God in ways that are unbelievable. He says, God, uh, I'm asking you to bring fire down right now in front of everyone. And it happens. Fire comes from the, the sky. And God, you know, just blows everyone away. Within one day, Elijah's hiding under a tree saying, please kill me. I don't want to live anymore. I can't stand it. I can't bear it. I want to die. This is, this is scripture when we see that. David, <laughs> any of you guys are like me, you know, you, you once in a while, you know, you, you kind of pre-diagnose yourself, you go to WebMD, and you're like, yeah, I have a headache, that's definitely me, you know? And, and, and if, you, if you do that, if you go to WebMD and you look at the symptoms or, or the stuff about depression, and you look at David's life, this is a guy who dealt with serious depression. And I want to say to you that you're not alone. And it sounds so simple, but I remember I flew to Atlanta about a year ago, and I was visiting a friend. This is somebody who speaks to tens and thousands of Christians all over the world, uh, a very influential person. And, and for whatever reason, I felt vulnerable enough in that moment to share with this person, you know, kind of what I was going through. And, and I expressed, you know, here's what I'm going through, and here's how I've been feeling. And, and I was almost expecting to be judged at that moment and kind of rejected, criticized. And I said, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm going through. And this person looks back at me and says, yeah, me too. Me too. We begin to share the things we've gone through, the things we've felt, the things that, that have been, been hard. And I got to tell you, there was something so healing about just knowing that there's someone else who loves God and knows Jesus, but is struggling with the same thing that I'm struggling with. It was unbelievable to experience a moment where I go, okay, I'm I'm not alone. And I want to be that for you today and say, you're not alone. It's not just you. And I want to encourage you, if it's something you're struggling with significantly, you got to talk about it. you got to talk about it. You know, whether it's through plugging into a life group and getting in a community of people that you feel safe where you can talk about those things, I guarantee you when you start talking about it, you're going to find out that other people feel the same way you do. They've just got the filters on and the airbrushing on and so you didn't know it. I guarantee it. The second thing, and I'll say it really fast, is just this, is that you're not weird. You know, for any of these five issues that we talk about over the next, next five weeks, if you're struggling with these things, you're not weird. We're humans. We have struggles. We have issues. And it would be foolish to think that somehow because 
Jesus has saved our souls, we're exempt from pain on this earth. We're not. You're not weird. You know, there are a lot of reasons why specifically depression and anxiety can enter our lives. I think sometimes well-intentioned Christians will, will, will easily jump to, well, there must be sin in your life if you're struggling with depression. Now, I will say, yes, yeah, sin can cause depression in our lives. We see that in David's life, right? David, he, he sleeps with this woman, his friend's wife, and then he has his friend murdered, and we see significant depression in his life because of it. Sure, in that case, there was some sin that caused depression in his life. But we also see Jeremiah. We see Paul. We see plenty of other circumstances where people are going through a, a time of depression or anxiety or despair or doubt in their lives where there was no record of sin that caused it. For Jeremiah, we see what happened clearly is that his vision and his dream, what he believed was going to happen to the nation of Israel was not happening. Matter of fact, the opposite was happening. The nation of Israel was crumbling and the circumstances around him crushed his soul. It crushed his spirit. It put him into a place of depression where he could hardly dig himself out. For Paul, Paul was saying, I can't live another day. I don't want to live another day. He was in a place of despair because of circumstances. He was being persecuted. He was going through hard times. You know, we, we experience depression and anxiety for a lot of different reasons. You know, sometimes we don't even know why we're going through it. I know it sounds crazy, but sometimes we're not even sure why we're, we're struggling, why we're feeling so anxious or why we're feeling so depressed. We don't really know why, but we know we're feeling it. And that's real too. You're not weird. You're a human. And lastly, you know, I just want to say this, and this is really important for this whole series, is that it's okay to not be okay. With any of these five things we talk about, especially this week, you know, it's okay to not be okay. Now, we don't want you to stay that way. You don't want to stay that way. I don't want to stay that way. But it's okay to say, look, I'm not doing good. My soul, my spirit, my heart, my mind is in trouble. I believe that one of the primary reasons that we have not, many of us have not fully experienced the love of Jesus is, be, is because of our need to be okay. Right? I mean, Alan, Pastor Alan teaches us regularly that the only way we can fully experience the gospel is through what? Brokenness. Admitting that we have a need for a savior. And the church culture, for whatever reason, not Christ community, just the church as a whole, the church culture has convinced us that we actually need to act like we're okay. But it's actually stopping us from experiencing genuine love and acceptance. It's stopping us from experiencing the gospel. It's okay to not be okay. You know, we, before we jump back into Jeremiah's story and exactly how he responds to this issue, I want to say just, just two other quick things. And, and these are, are just uh, some other things that I would encourage you to do. Um, if, if you're struggling with significant depression, significant anxiety in your life, or, or significant despair, you're just in a rough place and you can't seem to get out, I would encourage you to do two things. Number one is, is, is explore counseling. I think it's a very important step. I'm not a guy that ever had any desire in any way, even remotely 1.001% point to see a counselor. But at some point, some wise counsel in my life, some people that love me said, you should, you should do it. And I did. 
And it's been a very important part of my journey. It hasn't fixed everything. It hasn't made everything go away. But it's been a very important part of my life. It's saying, look, I, I'm, I'm talking to somebody and I'm working through some of these things and I'm, I'm admitting what's going on in my life. That's important. So I first encourage you, if you're struggling, don't be ashamed to see somebody. And secondly, if this is something that's serious in your life, we're talking something that is, is clinically you know, been going on for a long time for you, depression or anxiety or any of this stuff, I'd also encourage you to see a physician. There's a physician in our church I've talked to about this, and I asked him some questions about this. And, and I think it's very wise for us when, when things get out of control, or when we feel like we're in a place of no return, to see a physician and to seek counsel and to see what that doctor might say. And along with that, I, I want to I just touch on a little issue that I think there's a stigma about. And that is this, sometimes when we see a physician, there will be a recommendation to consider some medication that can help you through what you're going through. And many times in my life being around the church, you know, I've, I've quietly heard the whispers about, yeah, that person's, you know, they're on antidepressants or they're, they're, they're doing that as if it's not okay. I want to tell you today that for me, I have, I have seizures, as you guys know. Many of you know, I, I go through uh, times where I have to control seizures. And so what I do is I'm on medication. And if I was not on that medication, I wouldn't be standing up here today. I wouldn't be able to communicate to you like I'm communicating to you now. I wouldn't be able to drive a car. I wouldn't be able to do a lot of things. And I have prayed, and I, a lot of people have prayed that I would be healed of, of this epilepsy that I have. But you know what? For whatever reason, God hasn't chosen to do that. Would it be wise for me then to go, you know, just going just gonna to stay in my room for the rest of my life because I'm not going to be on medication? I don't think in any way God would look at me and say, don't, you know, don't you dare take medication. You're not relying on me. I see nothing scripturally that would back that up. And why I say that to you is if you're somebody that you experience this to a deep level and you're recommended, you know, to go on to some kind of medication to help you, and you prayerfully consider it with some friends and some family who, who give you wise counsel. Don't let anyone make you feel bad about that decision. Don't let anyone make you feel like less of a person because you're using modern medication to help you get out of the darkness. Some of you may not like that, but I can find nothing that, that opposes that biblically. And I have a lot of friends, a lot of Christian friends that I've encountered over a, lo a long period of my life who have, you know, used some antidepressants just to help them get through a very, very dark season in a dark place. And they're passionately serving the Lord and love God with all of their hearts. And I just wanted to say that to you because I want to lift the guilt. I want to lift the shame. Don't let anyone make you feel bad about that. You know, while, while there are options to seek counseling and there are options in modern medicine, you know, to see if it can help us through some of these things, I also want to say this, that neither one of those are the end-all, be-all. You know, abuse can happen on either one of those. And that's not what I'm promoting in any way. And I also want to say to you that I don't believe medication or counseling in and of itself can heal, heal you or fix the problem. I think it can help. But I believe that there is absolutely, without a doubt, an issue in our soul and our spirit in regards to depression, anxiety, doubt, that can only be addressed through our faith. And that's what we see Jeremiah doing here. And we're going to end uh, by looking at Jeremiah's response. 
What I love about Jeremiah is in the beginning, I read you guys a passage, again, that felt a little bit uncomfortable because he's saying some things about God that, you know, are pretty intense. He's saying some things about his life that feel a little bit uncomfortable. But I believe that that is absolutely crucial in our ability to get through the spiritual and the soul part of depression. I mean, Jeremiah comes to a place where he says, God, when I pray, you just throw it away. You don't listen to me. You don't hear me. And you lock up the key. He says, I don't even know what the good life is like anymore. I've given up on you, God. I don't even want to live anymore. I feel like you're taking my face and you're rubbing it in the mud. I'm sick. You know, he says, he says he's just skin and bones. He's sick. He can hardly eat. And he just says, look, God, here I am. Here I am. And he lays it on the table. And I think the first step for us in, in overcoming this, this spiritual oppression of anxiety or depression or, or despair or doubt is saying, acknowledging where you are. Acknowledging where you are. Now, I want to say two things. One is that, is that I think sometimes we go, well, you can't say those kind of things to God because we have to approach God in reverence. And I want to say, yes, we should approach God in reverence. He is God. At the same time, do you not think God knows how you feel? Do you not think God knows what you're thinking? I mean, he knows everything about you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He absolutely knows the things that are running through your mind. He knows how you're feeling. And there's something powerful about vocally saying, God, here's where I'm at. I'm angry at you. I'm frustrated. I feel like I'm lost. I'm confused. I don't know which way is up. I feel like you're not hearing my prayers. And it's so powerful because it's actually doing something inside of you. Acknowledging where you're at. It's an important step in getting freedom and healing from, from what you're going through. And so first, we, we got to say, look, God, here I'm at. Here, here I am. I'm struggling. It's messy. Here's how I feel. I don't even know if I like you anymore. I feel like you're hurting me. But then something amazing happens. But I want to stop before I go into what happens in Jeremiah's mind. And I want to say something really important. It, I, I was almost hesitant to even speak on this topic because I don't want, I don't want anyone to get the impression that a 30-minute message can fix all your problems. I don't want anyone to get the idea that, hey, as long as I just do these, these couple things, it's all going to get better. And what I like is actually Jeremiah kind of acknowledges that here. He, he, he says something that is indicative of this process that he's been through. And it's in Lamentation chapter 3, 19. We ended in 18, which said, I've given up on God, okay? And then in verse 19, he says this. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them. I well remember them. And my soul is downcast in me. Why is he saying that, okay? Why, why is he saying, I remember? He just told us what he's feeling. And what you, what you really realize here as you look into this is he's saying, look, it's not like I just had a bad day today. 
It's not like things just blew up today and I lost my cool. He's saying, I remember, which means this has been a period, probably a long period. It's easy to remember last week, last month. He's saying, this, is, this has been a long period in my life. And I remember it really well. You know, the result, the change that's happening in his life, it didn't happen overnight. You know, him experiencing freedom from what he's going through, it wasn't like, hey, I just expressed my feelings, everything's better. He says, no, let me tell you guys something. This has been a long process. I've been going through this for some time. I remember the pain, and even right now, he says, my soul is downcast within me. I remember it, still happening right now. And that's very important for you to understand because it would be easy to read this passage, you know, these, these few paragraphs and go, oh, you know, he was upset, now everything's good. And that's not at all what happened. What's really cool is what happens next. You know, he says in, in 19, like we talked about, you know, I remember my affliction. I remember my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them well, and my soul is downcast in me. Remember, he has just come off like an 18-verse rant about how much he hates his life and how much he dislikes God. Remember that? Yeah, we remember that. He said a lot of things that were pretty intense, that were very emotional. I mean, his emotions were running, running wild. His mind was spiraling out of control. If any of you have ever had anxiety or depression or even despair in your life, you know how your mind can get? It just starts going to bad places. It just starts getting worse. You start focusing on your pain, and it's more pain and more pain, and it goes to bad places. That's what's happening here. And then all of a sudden, he says, I remember this. I remember my fiction, affliction, my wandering. I'm still down right now. And then he says, in verse 21, he says, yet, even in the midst of all of this, the pain, the anguish, he says, yet, I call this to mind. So he's saying, I stop myself from going down the emotional path of over and over being discouraged and depressed and focusing on the negative things in my life, allowing anxiety to make my mind go to fear and, and worry. And he's saying, I stop my mind. I stop the train for a minute. And I replace my thoughts. He says, I, I, I call something else to mind. What is he calling mind? I mean, this is a powerful principle, not just for, for depression or anxiety, or, or doubt. This is a powerful principle for your life. When your mind is going out of control, he says you gotta stop it. You gotta, you gotta stop the feelings for a minute. And you gotta replace those thoughts with something else. And he says, yet I call this to mind. And in verse, and, and so, oh, let me, let me say this first. So, so first, we gotta acknowledge where we are, okay? We, we say, here, here I am, God. Acknowledge where you are. And the second step and this is what he's calling to mind. We're going to see it in just a moment. Is you've got to remember who he is. Acknowledge, here I am. And then we've got to remember who he is. He says, yet I call this to mind. Verse 22. He says, God's loyal love could not have run out. His merciful love could not have dried up. They're created new every morning. How great, God, is your faithfulness. I'm sticking with you, God. I'll say it over and over. He's all I've got left. God proves to be good to the man who passionately waits, to the woman who diligently seeks. It is a good thing to quietly hope, quietly hope for help from God. 
It's a good thing when you're young to stick it out through the hard times. When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself, enter the silence, bow in prayer, don't ask questions, wait for hope to appear. He says, don't run from trouble. Take it full-faced. The worst is never the worst. Why? Because the master, God, he won't ever walk out and fail to return. I mean, this, this, is, this is an amazing passage. A few verses ago, he just said, God, I give up on you. His mind was running wild. His emotions were, were running crazy. And finally, at some point, after a significant amount of time, so understand the here I am, it may take a while. <laughs> after a significant amount of time, he goes, okay, <sighs> this is how I feel. This is what I'm going through. This is the pain, the anguish, the frustration that I have. He says, yet, God, you're so good. You're so faithful. I know that your love endures. I've experienced it. I've seen it. It's this moment where he begins to say, look, I know where I am, but when I remember who he is, I realize things are not as bad as I thought they were. And what's so cool is that Jeremiah, he has a great perspective of God, but I don't think he has even quite as good of a perspective as we do. Jeremiah hadn't seen the cross yet. He hadn't seen Jesus yet. But yet he says some incredible things in here. One of the things that I love that he says, he said, God, your mercy is new every morning. And what I've learned is that in this process that, that we go through, sometimes I'll, I'll say, here I'm at, here, here I am, God, I'm struggling, going through a hard time. And then, and then I'll focus on God, I'll worship. A lot, a lot of times the way that I kind of remember who God is is through worship. And I would encourage you to get a worship CD. Focus on the words, the praise of who God is. Allow your spirit to be filled with the truth of God. And, and I'm like, yeah, you know, things are gonna be okay. But then the next morning, I, I still feel terrible. I wanna say that because I wanna be honest. I, I think one of the reasons he said the mercies are new every morning is because some days are hard. It doesn't just disappear a lot of times. It doesn't just go away. And this becomes a process, really, that we live out in our lives. He also says here, and KJ brought this to my attention. It was really cool. He says here, go off by yourself, enter the silence and bow in prayer. I think a lot of times when we're depressed or when we're going through anxiety or something that, that, is, that is mentally kind of distancing us from God, our, our reaction is, hey, once I feel better, then I'll get my relationship with God straight. And he says the exact opposite here. He says, actually, you know what you do? You go wait patiently in the presence of Jesus. Let him show up because guess what? He's sitting right there with you. He says, God doesn't leave you and not come back. Right? He says that right at the end. And what I hope that some of you understand and some of you see is that in the midst of your darkness, Jesus is with you. He's not left you. 
He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forsaken you. And the cool thing is, is we know that to be true far more than Jeremiah because of the cross. He went to the place of death for us. What's so cool is, is Jeremiah, he, he already knew before he said all those positive things and he reminded himself of who God was, he reminded himself of the greatness of God. Before he went to that place, he already knew what was going to happen. He said, here I am, I'm struggling, I'm in a mess. He says, yet I call this to mind, but there was a piece I left out there that I'm going to read to you. He already knew before he said all these things about the truth of who God was, that it was going to change his heart and it was going to do something. I want to go back to verse 21. In Lamentation 21, or verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 21, he says, yet I call this to mind, which we read which was the greatness of God. And he says, and therefore, the result of me calling the goodness and the truth of God to mind, the result of that, therefore, I have hope. He's saying when we focus our lives, yeah, we, we have to be honest, we have to be real. Don't be the kind of person that just pretends everything okay. Yeah, God's good, it's gonna be all right. Be honest, be real. Say, look, here I am. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm going through. But at some point, you've gotta call to mind, you've gotta remind yourself the truth of who God really is. And see, Jeremiah knew ahead of time, before he actually said those things, which tells me he's done this many times, before he even said those things about the greatness of God and the mercies of God and God's faithfulness, before he ever said those things, he said, I'm going to call this to mind, and what it's going to do is it's going to cause hope to rise up in my life. It's, it's about saying, look, here I am, remembering, calling to mind who he is, and then lastly, allowing hope to rise in your life. We, we can't force hope. You know, um, psychologists say that the most important ingredient in our psychological well-being is hope. And Jeremiah teaches us how to daily experience hope in our lives. No matter what you're going through. I want to say to you that this will be a daily process. It's going to be a journey. But when we focus on the truth of who God is, we, we, we somehow stop the emotions from running wild. The supernatural result is that we're filled with hope. Because we have a picture of something that is far better than our circumstance. It's Jesus. Yeah, tomorrow might be hard again. And just like Jeremiah, you'll go through the process again. And ultimately, you'll end in a place where you go, yeah, here I am. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. Okay, you know, God, I know who you are. I've seen your character. I've experienced you. And ultimately, as you begin to be filled with hope, I believe that we'll begin to experience hope to a sense where we go, yeah, this, it's going to get better. There's freedom. And it takes time and it's a process, but I've got Jesus. I wanted to end the message like that because 
Again, I, I didn't want in any way to communicate this is easy. Just snap your fingers, you know, say a couple of prayers and it's gone. For those of you that are really going through this, some of you guys, you, ha- you haven't experienced this and so this, this ha- hasn't really sunk in and that's okay, I'm, I'm, I'm glad for you. But I know there are quite a few people in this room where this is real for you. This is what you experience and this is what you go through. And I don't in any way want to cheapen the depth of your experience. It's real, I know. But I also can tell you that this right here is the only thing that has kept me getting up every morning and going is knowing that I have Jesus. And stopping the thoughts, stopping the train and going, wait a minute. I know you're not going to give up on me. You've always seen me through. You're always with me. And oftentimes, to encourage those of you that are going through this place, oftentimes we experience God most in the places of darkness. I've had some of my greatest experiences with Jesus and with God when I didn't even know if he loved me anymore. And I want to encourage you not to give up. That he will meet you there. And that darkness doesn't last forever. Let's pray together. Jesus, this is a, this is a really honest, pretty deep, pretty heavy topic. And there are some of us in this room that that, that we're not going through this. And and Jesus, for that, I'm very grateful. But I also know there are a group of people in this room that this really rings true. And this is their reality, whether directly themselves or indirectly through family. And I want to pray for those people. I want to pray that you would meet them where they're at today. That in the midst of the darkness, they would know that you are there. That you would help them to know they're not alone. That you haven't left them. And that you never will. You know, all of us in this room, whether it's despair or anxiety or depression, whatever darkness we're going through in our soul, I really want to instill in you just for a moment, we're going to practice this just, just for just a moment, just in the quiet of our heart. And then I encourage you when you're home or you're in your car or, or when you're in a place where you can, I also encourage you to really vocally express how you feel to God in prayer vocally. But in this moment, just in the quiet of your heart, just, just say, God, here I am. Whatever that means to you, whether it means, hey, I'm upset with you, I'm, I'm, I'm doubting you, or I'm, I'm in a dark place, or I feel lost or confused. Whatever those raw emotions are, just practice it for a moment. Just, just be honest with him. Tell him. I'm going to give you just a moment. Just, just tell him. Tell yourself for the first time, maybe.
God, we're saying, here, here I am. This is where I'm at. What we're going to do together in a few moments is we're going to worship and we're going to have communion. And both of those are acts of acknowledging who God is. So we took a moment, we said, God, here I am. And now we're going to take some time together and we're going to say, okay, God, <laughs> I want to stop the train of emotions, the, 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 the bundling up of anger and frustration. I want to stop the train of thoughts that are overwhelming my mind. And I want to focus my mind. I want to call to mind who you are through worship and through communion. And my prayer for all of us, Jesus, is that as we do that, as we pray, as we seek you, as we acknowledge you in these next few moments, that you would allow hope to rise up inside of us, supernaturally. We can't do it on our own. I've tried. And my prayer, God, is that as we worship together, as we take communion together, that you'd rise hope let hope rise inside of all of our hearts and even if it's just for a moment let us taste let us remember how good you are and help give us the strength to do it again tomorrow and ultimately God I pray for freedom help us to experience the fullness of the gospel by saying look I'm not okay and allowing you to love us right where we're at